I'm Autumn Lockett. And this is Mitch Randall. And you're listening to Good Faith Weekly. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. And on this episode, Autumn and I are going to catch up. Uh, there's storms brewing here in Oklahoma. We're also going to be talking about the decline of the Southern Baptist Convention. They lost 288 members this last year. And one big member resigned uh, from one of their uh, institutions. And then later on the pod, Autumn and I sat down with Nathaniel Green, who's the communication director for Q Christian Fellowship. It's an advocacy group for LGBTQ Christians across the country. So it's a good pod, so stay tuned. I'm Reverend Starlet Thomas, a womanist in ministry and the host of a new podcast, The Raceless Gospel, from Good Faith Media. We're going to talk about that taboo trinity, race, religion, and politics. Season one of The Raceless Gospel has five episodes, five Sundays, if you will. We're going to take you to church each episode. We're going to talk about the sticks and stones, the skin and bones of Christian discipleship through the structure of a church service. And each episode, we're joined by a special guest who will bring a word. The Raceless Gospel podcast, five episodes, all available March 22nd. I'm your podcast pastor, Reverend Starlet Thomas. Join us as we march into and beyond race, religion, and politics. Learn more at goodfaithmedia.org. Autumn, there are storms of brewing here in Oklahoma. They are. Uh, I'm wearing my blue and white Dorothy shirt, which is sort of how you know in Oklahoma that things are burning. The birds are acting strange. The clouds look a little funny. And meteorologists are saying the words powder keg. <laughs> yeah. Anytime your meteorologist, uh, your local meteorologist, uh, uses the phrase powder keg, that's uh, not a good indication of what's uh, to behold. So if you're listening to this uh, on Friday, uh, Autumn and I may or may not be around uh, after tonight. We might, we might be in Oz. <laughs> very well could be. I mean, you're looking very Dorothy-like uh, today. I know. Yes. There's no place like home. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, storms are brewing uh, here in the middle part of the country. Uh, there's a storm system lining up from Texas all the way to Missouri, and we are at the center of that here in Norman, Oklahoma. So uh, say a little prayer for us. Uh, I know it's after the fact, but uh, hopefully uh, things will go away. And uh, it's, it's been an interesting storm season. Um, it has. Everything has sort of shifted about a month later. Usually in Oklahoma, the very first week of May is... Mm -hmm historically when things start spinning in a circle and we've seen everything from our plant growth to you know our bug cycles to everything has really shifted like a whole month yeah we had that one storm that moved through that uh, pounded my roof with hell and uh, again third roof in 14 years here in Oklahoma but uh, it's just part of, of living in this state but today it feels a little odd I went outside this morning uh, to water the plants and the birds uh, flew up and looked at me and go, hey, what'd you hear? What'd you hear? I mean, it, it's feeling stormy outside. <laughs> yeah, the birds are acting very strange. I'm watching them out my front window, too. Mm -hmm. So, so it's, it's funny how, you know, nature just kind of knows that uh, mm -hmm. something is afoot. Something is, is stirring. So we'll mm -hmm. see later today what happens. And uh, hopefully by the time our listeners hear this pod that the storms will have moved through and not caused too much damage. 
I'm going to be dropping my house on some witches. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of storms brewing, Autumn, I don't know if you saw the news this week, but uh, Southern Baptist made an announcement, saw their biggest drop in 100 years. The SBC announced uh, this last week that they have lost 288,000 church members. I can't believe they're telling people that. Yeah. <laughs> like, are they required? Is there some sort of like... You have to report? I know. It's almost kind of like, um, you know, hey, we're becoming more exclusive. <laughs> oh, I mean, that's really what Jesus wanted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. <laughs> he was very much about the VIPs. <laughs> what? I just, and so what's, what's the hill we're dying on now? Like, I'm a little out of touch, Mitch. Well, I mean, it's just, I think a lot of it has to do with their support of Donald Trump over the last uh, four years and really five years. And they fully embraced him with open arms, except one of their members who announced this week that he was leaving the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the SBC, and that's Russell Moore. It's um, an interesting paradox there. Did he say why he was leaving? He did not say. He's going to be yeah. well. He did say he's taking a job with Christianity Today, uh, which is interesting. Christianity Today has. Uh, made a bold stance uh, against Trumpism, uh, and uh, that cost them, you know, some uh, readers and and support uh, with their their um, their base. But uh, you know, Russell, you know, has also made some public statements uh, denouncing Trumpism and some of uh, the former president's policies that got him in trouble and got mm -hmm. him in a lot of hot water. Uh, I've got a lot of respect for Russell. I mean, he and I disagree on uh, several different issues. Uh, one being uh, LGBTQ inclusion within the church, mm. um, and some others, but uh, he's always been kind. Uh, when I was elected the new executive director for the Baptist Center for Ethics, uh, he sent me a really nice note and uh, told me congratulations on the appointment, and so I appreciated that from him. Like I said, he's always been kind and sensible, uh, yes. and he's kind of conservative Christian, I think, that we need more of. Um, yeah. You know, that we can have rational discussions and have honest disagreements, but uh, understand that, uh, you know, we are who we are and we need to move forward in solidarity as, as human beings. So so I wish him well, uh, but it's interesting to see how the SBC, who was once and probably still are, the largest Protestant denomination in the world. At one time, they had 16.3 million members, and now... Uh, they have declined to 14.5 million members, still very large uh, in their uh, base uh, around the world. Their base is aging, though. It is aging. Uh, and the more and more radical they get uh, in the embrace of even more conservative theology, uh, I think is just really going to cause them problems in the future as an emerging generation uh, is more open and inclusive uh, to mm -hmm. They, just, they have different beliefs than, than their forebearers. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with him. Yeah. Well, also, uh, I went to St. Louis, got on an airplane this last uh, week and traveled to St. Louis uh, with a couple of colleagues. It was interesting to just be back out in the world. Uh, it was, you know, felt a, a little like normal. Uh, I did yeah. wear a mask in the airport, uh, on the airplane, and everybody else did well uh, as you well. You did or didn't I wear did. a mask? I did. Okay. Yeah. I figured you did. Yeah. Uh, and most people did, you know, mm -hmm. and there seemed to be no problem with it. and. 
I will just tell you, I don't know that I will ever get on an airplane again without a mask. I know. You know, I wrote about that a couple of weeks ago yeah. uh, in support of continuing to wear masks for several reasons. One being, you know, children uh, of your children's age yeah. still have not been vaccinated and just, you know, out of an abundance of caution to protect them. But also, you know... To be honest with you, I feel a lot better <laughs> when I wear a mask because we're not sharing germs with one another. Yeah, especially on like a plane or like if you're at like a conference and you're in inside like where they're just like recycling the air over and over. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's going to be a no-brainer for me. So what were you doing in St. Louis? Well, we uh, went with our, our colleague, uh, Reverend Starlet Thomas, uh, to do a presentation there to a couple of churches about Good Faith Media and then our newest initiative, Racist Gospel Initiative. Uh, and uh, preached at a church there at Webster Grove Baptist Church. Their pastor, Terrell Carter, was a fabulous host. I got to, to know him a little bit better. Uh, but then also we, we visited some local sites. So one of the things that we have done here at Good Faith Media is that when we find ourselves in different locations, we try to seek out uh, spaces where something significant has happened in those spaces and, and do a video piece or, or write about uh, our experience at these, uh, these places. And so Starlet and I uh, was kind of looking around St. Louis and, and decided that uh, we wanted to go to downtown St. Louis where the, the district court was located because it was at that district court where the case was filed for Dred Scott and a uh, historic case that appealed to Dred's freedom. Um, Dred was a slave uh, of the Emerson family in Missouri. They moved to Illinois for a while, which was a free state. The Missouri Compromise said that uh, if a slave lived in a free state for a, a certain amount of time, that even if they moved back to that slaveholding state, that they could be free. So that's what happened, and Dredd uh, filed a suit uh, claiming that he was free because he lived in Illinois for a certain period of time. Long story short, that got kicked all the way up to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the state of Missouri and the Emerson family saying that, uh, no, uh, a slave was not really a citizen, so the law did not apply to them. And so Dredd remained a slave of the Emerson family. Now, thankfully, uh, when um, Mr. Emerson died, his children, uh, freed Dredd and Harriet, his wife, uh, just shows you again, hopefully with each generation that passes that, uh, we become a little bit more progressive in our ideas and beliefs. But, uh, we, Starlet and I visited, uh, uh, their, their memorial statue there in downtown St. Louis across from the, the, the arch. And uh, it was really moving to, to hear their story and just to, to, to be in that space. And then we also went out to Ferguson, uh, where Michael Brown was shot, and went into the neighborhood and, and walked the street, visited the memorial there, talked to some of the neighbors. And it was just really, that was a, a heavy experience uh, to just be in that space and to, to think what transpired there on that street. And uh, we shot a piece. We decided to, to launch a new initiative under the hashtag sacred spaces you know there's so many things that have happened in our world uh continue to happen in our world that it would be easy to give into the darkness and to let those places just be overcome with darkness but as a people 
of good faith who have hope and want to share or spread light, we want to go to those places and claim them as sacred and talk about these moments, be honest about them, be respectful uh, in our time there, but also claim them as sacred uh, so that we can move forward so they hopefully will not be repeated. So we're launching a new uh, initiative here at uh, Good Faith Media called Sacred Spaces. And we're going to be uh, in our travels going to, to these locations like Ferguson and, and St. Louis and and other places across the country and, and probably around the world to talk about what happened at these locations, but also to claim them as sacred uh, so that, uh, that we will always remember uh, so that these don't happen again. Yeah, I think that's so important. And to not make it a negative thing, even though, you know, I'm not trying to cover it with toxic positivity, right. but just saying that acknowledging something happened here, something mattered here, mm-hmm. and we are going to use this as a catalyst for good in the future. Yeah. And we're going to learn from this and move on. And I think honoring those spaces and calling them what they are um, is really important. So I'm excited about that. So, I mean, go to the website. Uh, we've got a, a couple of sacred spaces up right now. Uh, one is with Starlet. Uh, Ferguson, and then another one that I did in my visit to Shilako Indian Agricultural School in Oklahoma, where my great-grandmother and her sister lived uh, back in the 19-teens when the Pratt Doctrine was in full force, uh, the Pratt Doctrine being to save the man, you had to kill the Indian. And uh, so I talk a little bit about what that means uh, to me personally and what that means to my ancestors. So I think it's going to be a, a good series for us. Uh, just it's always good to remember. Remembering is the first step towards justice. Yeah, and I think there is a tendency in, um, I can only speak to the faith background that I've been a part of, but there's definitely a tendency to just like smooth butter cream over these like unfortunate happenings. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my my therapist used to call it the Jesus Band-Aid. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, Jesus, yes, can like heal and fix so many things, but like there's still a gaping wound under mm-hmm. there. And right. like, unless you can acknowledge it and give it the space and respect that, you know, these events require, whether it's like in your personal life or if it's in history, you know, these great movements that have come and ter- from terrible tragedies. Um, so I really appreciate that about Good Faith Media and about sort of this kind of different angle of faith that I'm exploring as a as a grown-up, that um, you don't just have to gloss over the problems, that like God is there right. in the hard times too. I think that's so important. Well, one group that is stepping into these hard times is Q Christian Fellowship. Uh, Autumn and I sat down with their communication director, Nathaniel Green, this week to talk about their work. Uh, They are providing a much-needed community for LGBTQ Christians who feel excluded from the church, uh, who have been treated poorly by the church, and they just do a a really great job, and they have some really great uh, resources available free to the public uh, that you want to check out at their website. But uh, it was a delight to to sit down with Nathaniel and uh, hear what Q Christian is doing. Yeah, it really was. It was interesting to hear. Uh, I think they were referred to us by our our free mom hugs friends, weren't mm-hmm. they? Is that how we got connected with them? Mm-hmm. And so interesting to see that they they aren't just focused on um, the LGBT community, which I mean they are and they should be, right. but also of the parents of those folks, of allies. And so we had a really good conversation about what it means to be an ally. So even if you don't identify as LGBT 
TQ, but you're interested in what it means to be an ally, it'd be a really interesting interview for yeah. you to stay on. Absolutely. So stay tuned as Autumn and I sit down with Nathaniel Green from Q Christian Fellowship. Discovering Wholeness is a new podcast from Good Faith Media for healing trauma, for unearthing self. Because trauma is so pervasive in our communities, it comes into our spiritual spaces, our churches. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering how trauma is expressed in religious communities. My experience of of sitting in the the pain, the shame, and the terror at times with some of the people that I have um, sat with that have experienced that judgment, but to the degree of those kinds of really strong words like abomination and you're going to hell. And it's so heart-wrenching. I'm Kendall Rothis, an author, feminist theologian, ordained minister, and spiritual director. Join me and my colleagues, Kendra Frazier and Jillian Drader, as we gather each week to discuss trauma and spirituality, to stay grounded as we heal ourselves and walk alongside those who are healing. Join us and learn more at goodfaithmedia.org. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly, and on this episode, we've got a very special guest with us all the way from Nashville, Tennessee. Nathaniel Green is the communication manager for Q Christian Fellowship. He lives in Nashville, as I stated a moment ago. He also works as communication operations specialist for Grace Point Church, a beautiful progressive Christian community. He and his husband, Elliot, live in East Nashville with their dogs, Winston and Oliver. Q Christian Fellowship is a diverse community with varied backgrounds, cultures, theologies, and denominations drawn together through their love of Christ and their belief that every person is a beloved child of God. Amen, amen, amen. Nathaniel, welcome to Good Faith Weekly. Thank you. It is a delight to be here. Thanks for the invitation. We are so thankful that you're here today. Um, So in preparation for this interview, we were looking at uh, your website and... QChristian, QChristian.org, is that right? Yes. Yes. And you can find the link to that in our show notes as well. Um, So we found a statement that said, we recognize that the church has not and does not always make it easy for those who identify as lesbian, gay, transgender, bisexual, same gender loving, queer, pansexual, intersex, asexual, gender fluid, or questioning to reconcile these aspects of themselves with their Christian identity. We are witness witnesses to both the harm that faith communities can inflict and the hope and healing that is possible through Christ. Why do you think the church historically has been so slow in affirming LGBTQ plus Christians? That is a great question. And there are a lot of different directions I could go with it. Um, one quick note, my pronouns are he, him, his. Okay. Just so I showed yep, that. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I, it's easy for me to think of a lot of personal, like, examples, whether from myself or people I know. Um, a lot of it comes down to, um, anecdotally, for example, seeing that scripture is a, a weapon and not a gift, um, that, that the text in its most literal interpretations 
has to be assumed to be excluding or condemning um, the lives and love and experiences of LGBTQ individuals. I think there's a lot of reasons the church writ large has been very reticent to open up to LGBTQ identities and relationships within its institutional walls, per se. Um, but in particular, there's there are really fundamental scriptural, sorry, scriptural and theological questions that pertain to the affirmation and inclusion and acceptance and celebration of identities and relationships that don't look like what a lot of um, people have known for a long time. And so it's it's really, it becomes really complicated. Speaking really personally, um, when I was in college, I attended Liberty University um, from 2014 to 2018, um, founded by the late Reverend Jerry Falwell, um, and at that point, led by his son, Jerry Falwell Jr. Um, that's a whole other podcast episode. And yeah, we're going to have you back to talk about that experience. <laughs> yes, we <laughs> are. <laughs> that's... Yes, there's there's a lot there, um, but I, I came out while a student at Liberty, and wow. um, I, in that process, before I came out, before I came, started coming out publicly, um, the thing I had to wrestle with was theology. Um, before I could even begin to sort of name my experiences, because up to that point, I'd really resisted using the identifier as gay. Um, I, I use same-sex same, same sex attracted, same-gender attracted, kind of what you hear a lot of uh, non-affirming, uh, maybe same-gender loving Christians refer to themselves as to avoid trying to identify with the greater community. Um, I, I felt that if I was ever going to be able to name that experience and affirm that experience, I had to begin to wrap my head around the theology of affirmation. So. I saw that there were people out there. Um, it was, I think it was in like 2012 that I was first introduced to what at that time was Gay Christian Network and eventually became Key Christian Fellowship. Um, I was introduced to affirming theology on my iPod touch at home one night. Mm. And I was like, whoa, Christians <laughs> in good faith, like believe this. Yeah. Um, and I was like a sophomore in high school at that point. And so I, I was just really, I began reckoning for a little bit with that. Um, and it wasn't until later in college that I finally was, I, I could no longer ignore it. Um, I was just not attracted to women. And I was at that point really infatuated with someone very close to me and having a really hard time navigating not just like physical attraction, but like romantic personal attraction that I'd never really experienced before. And so before I could begin to entertain what affirmation looked like for me, it was all about the theology. And I think for a lot of Christians, that is where things get really complicated because Christians will look at any number of six or seven passages spread throughout the canon and think, okay, the Bible's clear, same gender relationships don't work. And to some lesser extent, trans identities, gender expansive identities don't work within the purview of Christian tradition. And that's a really limited view that fails to take into account a number of important contextual nuances. But beyond that, it's it's important to to kind of look past that immediate theological question and look at the actual impact that that view has on LGBTQ lives. Um, yeah. It's very clearly dangerous, damaging. It, it, it creates a lot of different harmful experiences, whether um, depression, anxiety, lots of trauma in my life, for example, um, 
breaks with families, breaks with church communities, the loss of a lot of different things, which can lead to suicidal ideation, attempts on one's own life. And um, so the consequences are devastating. And we have to really ask, and, and non-affirming Christians have to ask not just the theological question, but are you willing to reckon with the harm that this purview is is causing? So you know, Nathaniel, it's so interesting. Mean, what a beautiful answer. Thank you so much uh, for everything you just said. You know, when I'm asked around the country why I think this the 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 church has slow walked the affirmation of our LGBTQ brothers and sisters uh, into the church, uh, in a, not only in a welcoming way but an affirming way. You know, one of the answers that I provide is that uh, the church for you know, two thousand years has been dominated by this patriarchal mentality, uh, and what I mean by that, it's been dominated in the decision ability to select scriptures, to interpret scriptures from their original language into uh, the common language of the people. And it's been, all of this has been filtering through this patriarchal system that has been in place for 2,000 years. In addition to that, to that patriarchal interpretation and control of the church has has been this notion of uh, kind of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps mentality that goes along with patriarchy uh, to the things that you mentioned latter in your answer that uh, all of the trauma and stuff you just well you're just not tough enough you got to be more manly or you know more you know kind of you know, hard work you know how all that that plays out in, in the patriarchy. And so uh, what I am hopeful about now is that maybe, just maybe, the church, this this stronghold that patriarchalism has upon the church is breaking, uh, and different ways of looking at the text, uh, and really, in my opinion— a, a truer way to look at the text, because as you said in your answer, I mean, a lot of these are contextual. What does it mean to interpret this text? What is the text saying? What are these words saying? Uh, this this is happening today, and it's so exciting to see uh, across the spectrum of, of the church. So I uh, thank you for that answer. I mean, it's just, uh, I, I'm, I'm hoping that, that we're getting there. It seems as though we should have gotten there a long time ago, but uh, we'll take what we can get at this point. Now, you're... Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, sorry, go ahead. I wanted to clarify yeah, one yeah. thing real quick. Sorry. Sure. Um, well, I guess two things. I, I did want to, to share, we do have... To, to what you're talking about with there's the there's a scriptural angle to this we did put together a resource um kind of aggregating some of our from some of our guides uh, a resource called lgbtq theology 101 mm-hmm. um and that's on our website it's it's a pretty straightforward look at like what are we talking about when we talk about the bible what does it mean to kind of approach the bible with open hands and it runs through a lot of the passages people use to um, try and reject the validity of same-gender relationships and trans and gender expansive identities. And so when I said earlier that a lot of people look at passages and, and um, say the Bible's pretty clear on this, you can't be gay and Christian, and I said to a lesser extent trans and Christian, what I really meant was a lot of the, the passages used against same-gender relationships can be also used by Christians against trans and gender expansive identities, mm-hmm. but it's it's the Bible's often used even in different ways against trans people. Sure. Um, and a great book on this would be uh, Transforming by Austin Hartke, who's been a, a part of our community and conference for a while. 
Um, so really recommend checking that out too. Great. Yeah, well, we can put that link uh, down in the show notes. Now, Q's Absolutely. mission is to cultivate radical belonging among LGBTQ plus people and allies through a commitment to growth, community, and relational justice. So how does Q fulfill that mission? That's a great question. I love answering that question because there's so many things. <laughs> um, but that's why we're hiring people right now. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's um, there's a lot of different aspects to our ministry both programmatically and um, in, in the resources we produce. So um, we're, we're probably best known for our annual conference, which is a gathering that takes place usually in January. Um, this next year, January 20th to the 23rd, I believe, will be in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, this year for 2021, we had a virtual conference, which was wonderful. We have people from all over the world. And we usually do have people from all over the world, um, but this was an even more accessible experience. Um, there's conference. We also host um, a parent summit. We're in the middle of one right now, um, which is a, an annual experience for the parents and family members of LGBTQ people who are navigating their um, the their child coming out, the shifts in that relationship, the theological questions they have, um, and doing so in a way where they can ask questions safely, where they can connect with one another on their journeys. Um, since last fall, our first virtual parent summit, we've had over 200 people participating in that um, altogether, um, which is really exciting. And so there's like those events, those are part of what we do, but a huge part of what we do now is also community groups. And so each season we have um, what has grown to over 26 different uh, community groups spread out all over the world. Um, for LGBTQ Christians and allies to to connect for about 10 or six weeks, depending on your uh, part of the season you're in. And um, that has just been, that's really taken off. It's been really amazing to see um, just how meaningful an experience it is for participants. Um, our program coordinator, Alicia LaPerche, heads that up, and they're doing an incredible job. And there's just been so many testimonies of, of, of new friendships, of um, a, a lot of these groups are either social groups where they're like connecting with people, or they're, they can also be support groups. Um, and, and often they're they're studying um, resources and different content pieces that either Q Christian has produced or are being kind of uh, broken down into component parts to to help uh, with those specific identities that are shared and those experiences. And so that's a big deal. And, and those are open to everybody. Um, if you're, there's a lot of groups that are open to allies. Um, there are a lot of groups specifically for parents. And so those are really meaningful ways. They're totally free. Anyone can join, just sign up. Signups are still open right now if anyone's interested. Um, and um, there's also, like, keep going. There's a lot of things. We do, we do parent support <laughs> gatherings uh, biweekly. We do um, different uh equity, diversity, and inclusion gatherings monthly um, with different focuses each month. They're headed up by two of our board members mm -hmm. do an incredible job. We have uh, a virtual prayer wall if you have a prayer, prayer request, um, different ways to connect. I love that. Uh, but one of the major ways we, we effectuate our mission is through uh, the resources we develop. So we've put together seven different affirmation and relational guides, um, ranging from sexuality and spirituality to, um, you know, a relational guide for parents to a relational guide for allies. And, and we're in the process through our Spanish translation team of making all of our core resources available in Spanish. Oh, that's so fantastic. Already some of that available, such as our parents' guide, our terminology. Um, we're, we're slowly being, being able to publish those. 
um there's there's a lot going on i feel like if my boss was here she'd be like well, there's this too um <laughs> yeah that's, that's one of the great things about your site at uh, qchristian.org uh if you go uh, to their site they do have an incredible amount of resources available uh, for individuals who uh, you know exploring their sexuality? Parents uh, whose, whose children who have just come out, uh, you know, churches who are you know grappling with this idea of becoming more inclusive and affirming of LGBT Christians. It's just it's really a really remarkable resource. So I just commend uh, Q for doing all that you're doing uh, for on on the resource front. Um, now, I keep calling you guys Q, and Autumn, <laughs> Autumn asked me before this uh, this uh, this uh, recording of. So who are we uh, interviewing today? I, I had to ask. I'm like not affiliated. How do you guys feel about them co-opting your uh, consonant? Well, we were here first. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> Could we sue them? Yeah. Like, do we know a lawyer? <laughs> Well, that's funny. Our our executive director is a lawyer, but I don't think Perfect. she's that kind of lawyer. Um, I could help you find one. <laughs> we we try and be uh, we we're we're intentional about referring to ourselves as QCF, QCF or Q Christian right. Fellowship or Q Christian. Okay. We it's it's been as the communications person, it's been sort of one of those like little things. It's like let's be really clear. So uh, we yes. we we have had those those haphazard uh, Twitter mentions at times where people yeah. don't quite understand what we are and they're tagging us in things that shouldn't exist in the first place. And so yeah. I, right. yeah. I used to block yeah. every now and then. But. I love that. <laughs> yes, as you should. So um, Yeah, well, halfway through the interview, I thought we needed to clear that up. <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe we should do that at the top. So as like a, a fierce ally, um, one thing that I know when I um, – really started exploring more about what it means to be an ally, did ally training and really surrounded myself with voices who um, were living in that space and could, could kind of teach me along my journey of how to be an, an effective ally. But one thing that was sort of intimidating to me at first, and not that like you need to solve my problems, but I, I'm just talking to our listeners. So if you're on this journey and you're feeling therapy sort of with Autumn Lockett, we're in the closet and it's therapy time. <laughs> Turn on your lavender candle. But one thing that can be sort of, sort of, um, you know, overwhelming is it is always transforming and evolving. And like at one point, like, so I'll give you an example. We published a book at Good Faith Media and um, it was by Tim Selig and he he called his book Big Old Baptist, Big Old Gay. But at first he was using the word queer. And for some of our older progressive liberal staff members, they were like, <gasps> you know, clutching their pearls a bit about the word queer because in their growing up, that was a very... It had a different context. And so I just, do you have guidance for folks who are trying to be allies and also trying to stay hip on what is appropriate to say? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I also like, I, I will use the self-identifier of queer. This is one of those domains where there is a, um, a sensitivity to terminology that is, has to some extent been reclaimed. Um, it is terminology, for example, queer is a word that LGBTQ people might use to describe themselves individually, collectively. Um, it's a term that queer people will use for themselves. It's not a term that should be, generally speaking, used by someone who's not queer. Okay. Um, it's, there are other terms um, 
that might be pejoratives when not used by LGBTQ people. Um, I can only think of maybe one other example of that, but it's, it's queer is an example of a word where it's the meaning for, especially for younger LGBTQ people. I have, particularly in my role at QCF, I have seen where the term might be um, offensive or, or trigger some bad memories from um, LGBTQ elders who experienced a lot of derision and ostracization because of that um, several years ago. And so it's, it's a term used with some sensitivity um, and it's a term that's been kind of reclaimed. And so okay. I would encourage it to be more of a, if, if, if a queer person uses that term to describe themselves, that's one thing. If um, a straight person aspiring to be an ally is using that term, um, it can, it might not be recommended. There, there's okay. varying sure. thoughts on that. We, we just tend to recommend sure. just use whatever the actual like LGBTQ plus identifier would be and, and save queer to be more of like for queer Christians to use themselves or queer people to use themselves. That's, That's a good word. That is That's a great guidance. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, cool. Nathaniel, I want to shift gears a little bit uh, because 2021, mm -hmm. we're only uh, five months into it, but it's been the worst year for state legislatures passing anti-LGBTQ laws across the country with 17 bills already passed and signed into law. Now, I'm just going to be blunt about this. What in the hell is going on? Well, that's a great question that I feel like there's a lot of people who are much more experienced can answer. <laughs> but, um, and I have to, I'm going to be careful because Keep Christian is not an advocacy organization. We're right, just a, sure. a faith-based 501c3. But, um, yeah, and I live in Tennessee, which is probably leading the, leading the pack of states who have passed legislation like this and just i think this morning i saw a headline that nashville's district attorney is refusing to enforce right a new law well let's not get um, let's not get into the nuances of each of the law but there seems to be this this attitude and and i want to use the term backlash i don't really know what the backlash is on but there seems to be this aggressive um attack on lgbtq people and their rights so is it something political, obviously something political, but is it theological, it's cultural? What is going on in the country to spur all of this legislation all at once? Yeah, I, I think there's probably a number of levels. And just full disclosure, I'm cisgender, meaning I uh, identify with the gender I was assigned at birth. Um, I'm not trans. I can't speak to a lot of really the experiences and, and the lived realities of trans people. Um, but I, I can at least sort of try and name some of these things. I, there's, there's a lot of, yeah, you're right, reaction against a lot of, I would say, social advances made um, for LGBTQ people and by LGBTQ people. Um, representation is part of that. Um, it's not all of that at all. But for example, I mean, the Senate this year confirmed Dr. Uh, Rachel Levine to be in the an assistant secretary in the cabinet. Um, uh, State Senator Sarah McBride, who was actually briefly a part of our conference this year, um, she was elected in the past year, I believe. Um, there's there's different examples of of, of publicly trans and gender expansive folks, um, you know, being public and visible and disclosing more about themselves. Elliot Page, um, just an incredibly brave, um, his interview with Oprah, his his transparency about his experience, really moving and beautiful, and it's been um, just and it's meant a lot to a lot of people to to see his vulnerability. Mm -hmm. um, those 
there's a lot of, particularly in, in places where there might not be a lot of known interactions with non-cisgender people, with, with trans and gender expansive folks, there's a lot of um, fear-based ideology, mm-hmm. um, a lot of othering, a lot of um, marginalization that is manifesting in the need to create control and boundaries for folks who are really vulnerable, who are often youth, teens in particular. Um, a lot of these bills are, are trying to really control the, the, the experiences and opportunities of like LGBTQ, uh, well, specifically trans and gender expansive teenagers, which is, there's just a lot of, it's kind of devastatingly awful in a mm-hmm. lot of ways that mm-hmm. that is where um, in a nation in need of a lot of social reform, that that is the focus, um, because that is not a thing that needs to happen. We need to be affirming. I mean, the, the, the Trevor Project just came out. Um, we, we partnered with them to produce the, the Good Fruit Project, which yes. is a faith-based um, case, a Christian-based case against um, the use of conversion therapy. And that's been a gift to be able to to work with them on. And they're, it just came out with their 2021 uh, mental health, uh, LGBTQ youth mental health survey. And they found that 42% of LGBTQ youth seriously considered suicide in the past year, including more than half of trans and non-binary youth. Uh, trans and non-binary binary youth who have reported having their pronouns respected by all of the people they lived with attempted suicide at half the rate of those who did not have their pronouns respected by oh, anyone. Oh, that's such a small lived. thing to do. Like, OMG. Yeah, it's... it's um. It's a lot. It's it's like it's, I mean, it's, it's not it's a small thing, but like for the person just using the right pronoun, I'm like that is that is not a big ask. Like, could you just like it? Mm. Yeah, there's this there's this reaction, this belief that the fundamental um, the lives of transgender expansive folks need to be legislated into a corner or need to be. Um, treated as a threat and in my in Bukola our executive director made the point to me yesterday that a lot of this is rooted in in theologies of fear um we take really seriously as lgbtq christians this belief that perfect love casts out fear um that we are invited into the good the good liberating news of jesus the christ and in and in so doing we can we can see God's goodness and image reflected in and manifested in the lives of, of individuals and communities who are so often othered by the uh, communities that or the individuals who hold power um, with those, whether in legislating or just in our churches. Like there's a lot of different spaces where that's true. And these bills are reflections of theologies and ethics of fear, um, theologies and ethics of control. And it's imperative that we resist those. And so while we are not a public policy advocacy organization, we are focused especially on the the theological and relational resources that can bring about those changes in hearts and minds. Um, And so we understand that stories, that that theology, all of these things taken together have the ability to impact individuals' um, perspectives. I would say most of us on staff have had that same experience happen to us in different ways. And so we, we see these bills and and we recognize that there's a lot that's 
these are kind of the tips of the iceberg of of, of fear and othering and, and marginalization marginalization and it's it's important that we 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 look underneath those and we at least um make it as widely available as possible you don't have to believe this you can love affirm support include celebrate trans people and see them as the beautiful representations of god's creativity and that's why non-binary person and that's why organizations like q christian fellowship are so important because um you know there are individuals out there living in states like tennessee our home state of oklahoma who are constantly berated by these types of legislation and it can be and it can feel very isolating that their state is against them their cities are against them their school systems are against them their church is against them and it just pushes them further and further to the margins where they f- begin to feel isolated and alone and begin to question who they are and their identity and then their self-worth. And then, as you articulately said a moment ago, leads to, you know, unfortunately, suicidal uh, thoughts and, and attempts. We just want those individuals who are listening today who feel that way in that particular, those particular states, those particular settings, that you are seen, you are loved. You are respected and you are affirmed. And in organizations like Q Christian Fellowship, Good Faith Media, you have a place to belong and to be celebrated. And please, please, if you're considering, uh, you know, suicide or having suicidal thoughts, get help now. Don't wait any longer. Stop the podcast. Get on the phone and make a phone call because uh, you are valued by God. You're a creature and a child of God, and don't let another go past day past thinking that you are not worth what you are because you're worth every ounce that God put into you. Mm-hmm. So I, I, um, before I ask my next question, I'll tell you a little bit about I was had sort of a, a unique experience in that I was on um, a search committee for our church, which is. A small church in Norman, Oklahoma, we're a, a bluish purple dot in a ruby red state. And, um, you know, I feel a lot for teens growing up here in the state. I have a daughter who is 14 and she is um, she's an, a fierce ally, has many friends who are transitioning um, and is just I just admire her um, courage and friendship and just general badassery. And maybe Mitch will make me edit that out, but (laughs) it is what it is. She's just fierce. And so we were in the process at our church of hiring a new youth minister. And I sat at a table with people who were much older and wiser than me and listening to them question um, the interview questions to our candidates who came in, um, sort of, you know, we are the gatekeepers of who's going to be interacting with our youth on a, you know, twice weekly basis and more um, to be plugged into their lives, to be leading them theologically. And I was just completely amazed by how thoughtful the questions were. And we led, not, I say we, I was sort of a spectator in this, but it was just a whole layer of being, um, supportive that I'd never been thought of but they I mean we put these folks through a pretty rigorous battery of questions and the first one was like you've got a youth in your you know in your group who's transitioning what is your message to them and it was sort of like one of those reality shows that had a hole in the floor and if somebody misstepped on that we were kind to them but we 
if they didn't answer that question right, like we didn't go on to the next question. We didn't even waste our time. And our pastor quoted the same statistics that you did about how vulnerable teens are, um, especially teens who may be questioning their sexuality. And so I tell that story to ask my question, which is that was a very small thing that we did in a very small corner of the world, but I think it mattered. Um, what else can people of good faith do to support LGBTQ Christians and create more inclusive communities? Yeah, and that's that's a, a good example of really prioritizing um, your values because like an inclusive and equitable and liberating theology will lead to inclusive and equitable and liberating um, communities in the world. And that's, that's beautiful. Um, there are many like small ways um, that one can embody allyship. Um, for example, um, being willing and quick to correct the, um, the, the wrong pronouns when those are used in reference to somebody who doesn't use those pronouns. Um, being, being quick or not quick, but being willing to look at the, the content produced by and um, used by the congregation saying, does this, con does this liturgy um, presuppose something about God or about us that might not, that might uh, center a specific identity or um, gender rather than um, celebrate the, the actual like divine reality that is God. Um, that's one way. So uh, my church very actively resists using the pronoun he to uh, describe God. We we usually just use God um, and often she, particularly in reference to the spirit. Um, and so that's one small way to kind of like, uh, to be intentional about that. Um, another way is to be able to point to resources when, when asked kind of um, at least like have those available for individuals kind of navigating whether it's their own personal experience of being LGBTQ plus or for parents and family and, and other individuals who are on that affirmation journey. Um, that's another way. And, and a lot of it, um, a lot of it really comes down to um, our, our LGBTQ identities very clearly represented in your, your organizational, your church denominational leadership. There's, there's a lot of different layers there, but um, for example, the ELCA, uh, they, they just confirmed, I believe that's the word, confirmed uh, the, the, their very first uh, trans bishop, um, which is wonderful. Um, also, there, there are many more transgender experience of folks that are um, confirmed into those positions. And so our, our, our staff and board positions, our volunteer positions, are, do they, are they constituted by um, uh, different sexual and gender identities? Um, and if there is, if, if someone's part of a denomination that is navigating those questions or a part of a church that is really working on discerning in good faith, um, be, be vocal about what, what you believe and what you know to be true about God's affirmation of, of LGBTQ people and identities. Um, because it's it, it shouldn't just have to be LGBTQ people who are advocating for space. Yeah. It, it needs to be the people who have even less at stake and who can really step in and say, no, this isn't okay. And actually like, like put something on the line for LGBTQ people. Um, it's exhausting to have to um, advocate for, for one's 
dignity. Um, and so any opportunity there is to to really to advocate and appeal for that kind of diversity um, is in, in every other form of diversity, whether it's um, accessibility or um, anti-racist policies. Like there are so many different components to just an equitable experience. So allyship looks different for everybody, but all of us are called to allyship in some form. And so, um, yeah, there's there's so many ways, whether it's in your small church, your denomination, um, really advocate for uh, the people, policies, and theologies that, that make the community beautiful and make it um, divinely expressive and radiant. So what you're saying is, uh, for those of us who want to be advocates, uh, we need to get off our duff and get to work. Uh, quit being silent and uh, and start vocalizing our support uh, for affirmation of our LGBTQ brothers and sisters, not only in the church, uh, but in society, uh, fighting for their rights. Nathaniel Green is the communications manager for Q Christian Fellowship. You can find more about Q Christian Fellowship at Q... Uh, is it Q... QChristian.org. I'm sorry. I was Careful. looking. Uh, well, Careful. I was. <laughs> I was. I was looking at their uh, conference, January 20th to 23rd in Albuquerque, New Mexico, in 2022, and I was uh, thinking about signing up because it sounds like a great conference. And so it's a different website. <laughs> so that's what I, I, I apologize by that. Uh, it's QChristian.org. Uh, Nathaniel, thank you so much for being with us today. Before we let you go, Autumn's got one last question for you. So, Nathaniel, our tagline at Good Faith Media is there's more to tell. So in light of everything we've talked with you about today, what is your more to tell? I think if I, I think I'm answering this correctly, but I, I could be wrong. So if I'm not, let me know. We're going to open that uh, hole in the floor I talked about. And down <laughs> you go. <laughs> I mean, I'll answer this as much as I need to. Um, I would definitely recommend, um, if, especially if you're someone who is not LGBTQ+, but would like to um, really like dig into the, the big ideas and the, the experiences of people in our communities, um, visit our website and, and check out our um, affirmation and relational guides. There are seven of them. Um, one's already available in Spanish, but... These are a really good way to become familiar with terminology, to become familiar with um, different experiences and dynamics that different LGBTQ people have, different sexual ethics that are, are chosen throughout our community, whether that's, um, well, I just encourage you to read them. There's, there's a lot of really good stuff. I would also encourage um, checking out our um, community groups. I'm not sure if that's more to tell. Mm -hmm. It is. It absolutely. is. Absolutely. Yes. Well said. Nathaniel, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, you have been a delight uh, and just a, an encyclopedia of information. We really, really appreciate uh, your time with us today. Thank you. It was a gift to be here. To our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to Good Faith Weekly, and uh, we'll catch you up uh, next time. Uh, so make certain until you tune in next week, keep living good faith. <laughs>